When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The dog whisperer himself has recently been accused of being an irresponsible pet owner. And worse than that, his dog allegedly killed Queen Latifah's dog and Caesar tried to cover it up. So is Caesar truly an abusive, self-absorbed celebrity that doesn't care about the animals he works with? Or is he a misunderstood trainer with unconventional techniques? Stay tuned in today's episode of The Corporate Casket to find out. Hello, and welcome back to The Corporate Casket, a series where bad businesses go to die. And today, we're not just talking about a corporation, but an individual behind that corporation, Caesar Milan, otherwise known as the Dog Whisperer. Today, we'll start by talking about how Caesar Milan got his start, then we'll get into his methods. And as a warning to anyone listening, animal abuse will be frequently discussed throughout the episode. So if that's not something you can handle today or just generally know that this is gonna be disturbing, please feel free to click away. For those of you still here, let's get into it. And, and, and fear comes because of the lack of knowledge. Okay, so, and that's why I have a show because I came to a country that they love dogs, but they didn't know dogs. So my goal for the world is to make a knowledgeable dog lover world. Cesar Milan grew up in Sinaloa, Mexico, working with farm animals. From a young age, Cesar knew he wanted to be a dog trainer, but not just any dog trainer, but the best in the world. When he was 21, Cesar Milan came to the US by illegally crossing the border, something he's open and honest about during interviews. And he did legally become a citizen in 2009. Once across, Caesar took any job he could get before eventually landing a job as a dog groomer. Apparently it was his zen-like demeanor, even with the most difficult of dogs that caught the attention of actor Jada Pinkett. This opened up a world of celebrity dogs to Caesar, leading him to training celebrity Will Smith's dog in the 90s. Caesar opened up a dog psychology center in Los Angeles, and in 2002, the dog whisperer was pitched to National Geographic. His tactics are about rehabilitating dogs and training owners. And honestly, I agree with that sentiment. Owners need just as much training, if not more so than dogs do. The show became a number one hit on National Geographic and Caesar became a pop culture icon watched by dog owners and non-owners alike every Friday night. It's said that National Geographic even signed him up for an unprecedented 35 more episodes fairly early on. Caesar had DVDs and books coming out. He was soaking up the limelight and finding massive success. His first book, Caesar's Way, became a bestseller. And as time went on, even more hit shows followed, such as Caesar Milan's Leader of the Pack, Caesar 911, and Caesar Milan's Dog Nation. He even had his own magazine as well and joined forces with TV veterans, Sid and Marty Croft to make a Nick Jr. show, Mutt and Stuff. Of course, not everything was perfect behind closed doors. In 2010, Caesar lost most of his fortune in bad investments. His wife left him and his pit bull passed away. 
However, Caesar was able to gain back his fortune, expand his show internationally, and write a new book, retaining his reputation as one of the most famous, if not the most famous dog trainer in the world. Now, regardless if you love, hate, or feel indifferent about Caesar Milan in general, it's not hard to see why he's gained so much popularity in the first place. I watched an episode of Dog Whisperer in full featured on Nat Geo Wild's channel, and I have to admit, it was pretty entertaining. Granted, I am a dog lover to begin with, but who doesn't love seeing an adorable doggo go from being aggressive and scared to happy and loving? Of course, there are a few questionable moments, and I understand the disclaimer of don't try these techniques at home without consulting a professional before the episode, but the way Caesar talks about pack mentality and being the alpha throughout the show kind of rubbed me the wrong way. For example, there was one moment when Caesar was with two dogs in a family's garage. One was attempting to attack him while the other, a Rottweiler, was defending him. By Caesar's own admission, he used the Rottweiler to defend him, letting the second, smaller dog continue to be aggressive. He says that you have to understand the pack concept to see what he was doing, creating a two against one scenario. Watching the scene, it genuinely looked as if he was intimidating the smaller dog by towering them, blocking them, and eventually pinning them to the ground by the neck. Wouldn't this just make the smaller dog lash out? Couldn't this cause a dog fight? Like, even though I have my own dog, Casper, I'll admit I'm not a dog behavioral expert, not by any means. So with that in mind, let's get into Caesar's training techniques and why this may not be up to par, according to some of the experts in the field. So first of all, there is no alpha. David Meech, a scientist and wolf researcher, breaks down why this is. His website writes, the concept of the alpha wolf is well ingrained in the popular wolf literature, at least partly because of my book, The Wolf, Ecology and Behavior of an Endangered Species. Written in 1968, published in 1970, republished in paperback in 1981 and currently still in print, despite my numerous pleas to the publisher to stop publishing it. Although most of the book's info is still accurate, much is outdated. We have learned more about wolves in the last 40 years than in all of previous history. One of the outdated pieces of information is the concept of the alpha wolf. Alpha implies competing with others and becoming top dog by winning a contest or battle. However, most wolves who lead packs achieve their position simply by mating and producing pups, which then became their pack. In other words, they are merely breeders or parents, and that's what we call them today, the breeding male, breeding female, or male parent, female parent, or the adult male or adult female. In the rare packs that include more than one breeding animal, the dominant breeder can be called that, and any breeding daughter can be called a subordinate breeder. Funny enough, his site even links to an Adam Ruins Everything episode about this very topic. I highly recommend checking it out if you haven't seen it. But the point is that David Meech, the scientist who literally wrote the book on alpha wolves, admits that he was wrong. He was studying parents, not pack leaders. Plus, even though his research has in essence been debunked, Caesar Milan continues to promote this line of thinking to this very day. As of writing this, I was actually able to go on Caesar's own website and find a page that reads how to tell which dog is alpha. Caesar claims that there are three positions in a pack, an alpha male and female with betas subservient to them and omegas being subservient to everyone else. Caesar describes them as being the front, middle or rear of the pack and goes on to add that humans need to be the pack leaders. 
His advice to owners with two or more dogs is to not only know which dog is which, but reinforce these positions by doing things in pack order, walking, feeding, and giving attention to the alpha first, then the betas, and then the omegas. According to Caesar, this will reinforce the dog pack hierarchy and keep an alpha from being insecure, which could lead to aggression. Caesar also said this early on in his career and in a 2009 interview stated, what people most often do is humanize the dog. And from that point on, they're going to practice human psychology on a dog. And when they really want the dog to listen to them, the dog is not going to because this is not the dog's state of mind. In other words, following dominance theory is the only way, which involves finger jabs to the abdomen, alpha rolls, rolling a dog over onto its back, and even choke collars if needed. I might understand this kind of mistake in the beginning of his career or from a beginner dog trainer with a small audience. However, I'm far from the only one to call Caesar out on this misconception. Critics argue that Milan isn't teaching owners how to train their dogs, but simply to put them in a state of helplessness. A 2009 review in the Journal of Applied Animal Behavioral Science said that aggression and other behavioral problems aren't a result of dominant behavior by the owner or any sort of alpha status, but instead are a result of fear. Caesar's confrontational methods actually tended to result in more aggression and self-defense from the dogs in this study because they were lashing out. The American Humane Society went as far as to call his methods inhumane, cruel, and dangerous, and said that they were especially disturbed when Caesar used shock collars, pinned dogs to the ground, and tightened their collars. They wrote, several instances of cruel and dangerous treatment promoted by Milan as acceptable training methods were documented by American Humane, including one in which a dog was partially asphyxiated in an episode. In this instance, the fractious dog was pinned to the ground by its neck after first being hung by a collar incrementally tightened by Milan. Milan's goal of subduing the fractious animal was accomplished by partially cutting off the blood supply to its brain. Around the same time, a New York Times article came out referring to Caesar Milan's show as a pack of lies. Mark Durr, the article's author, also called out National Geographic for presenting dog behavioral issues and social structure as a one-size-fits-all approach to dog training. Even if Caesar didn't and doesn't condone yelling or hitting, his tactics are still intimidation tactics all the same. Not only that, but Mark calls Caesar out for sexism as well and states, women are the worst offenders in his Caesar's world. In one of the outtakes included in the four DVD set of the first season of Dog Whisperer, Mr. Milan explains that a woman is the only species that is wired different from the rest. And a woman always applies affection before discipline, he says. Man applies discipline, then affection. So we're more psychological than emotional. All animals should follow dominant leaders. They don't follow lovable leaders. Aggression can be because of medical conditions as well, but Caesar doesn't really talk about this at all. Probably because it wouldn't make for entertaining television to start every episode by telling an owner to go to the vet and get their dog checked out and have blood work done. Instead, it's Caesar's quick fixes that make for good television, even if his actions are blatantly opposite from what animal behaviorists teach. Frankly, what I've read thus far does lead me to believe that these dogs are only changing their behavior because they're afraid, intimidated, or helpless. And that's not to say that no dogs genuinely changed because of Caesar Milan. I can't follow up with every single owner featured on his program, but his methods are incredibly questionable. It reminds me of some sort of weird, like intense doggy boot camp, if I had to explain it. So 
how did this air? You might be asking yourself, why would National Geographic allow this to run? Well, because of ratings, if I had to guess. The thing is, National Geographic did have someone review Dog Whisperer even before it aired. Andrew Lusher, an animal behaviorist and diplomat of the American College of Veterinarian Behavioralists. Not only did Andrew unequivocally denounce Caesar Milan's techniques, but he explained in great detail why they were harmful. And National Geographic apparently ignored him and aired the show anyway. According to Andrew, after reviewing the four preview videotapes submitted to him from National Geographic, he was alarmed by several things. The first was the disclaimer. Why tell an audience not to try these techniques at home if the purpose of the show is to educate? My personal guess on this is that it was to remove liability in case something goes wrong. So Andrew's second point is that he claims that Milan's techniques are almost exclusively based on two types of techniques, flooding and positive punishment. He explains that flooding is when an animal is exposed to a fear or aggression evoking stimulus and prevented from leaving the situation. The example he gives is to imagine that in order to treat arachnophobia, you were locked in a closet with hundreds of spiders and weren't allowed out until you stopped reacting. Sure, you could be potentially cured from a surface level view, but you might also just be traumatized, disturbed, stressed, and fearful. As for positive punishment, he explains. Positive punishment refers to applying an aversive stimulus or correction as a consequence of a behavior. There are many concerns about punishment aside from its unpleasantness. Punishment is entirely inappropriate for most types of aggression and for any behavior that involves anxiety. Punishment can suppress most behavior, but does not resolve the underlying problem, i.e. the fear or anxiety. Even in cases where correctly applied punishment might be considered appropriate, many conditions have to be met that most dog owners can't meet. The punishment has to be applied every time the behavior is displayed, within half a second of the behavior and at the correct intensity. Andrew gives examples throughout the tapes as well. In episode one, a Great Dane was dragged onto a slippery floor by a choke chain, and it's apparent the dog was stressed from their excessive drooling. Another dog was corrected for showing fear by inflicting pain. A third dog was treated for a compulsive disorder with a prong collar. Andrew adds, The dog's behavior could be compared to stereotypic rocking in a child. The method Milan used to approach this problem would be like hitting this severely disturbed child each time it rocks. I bet you could suppress rocking behavior, but certainly no one could suggest that the child was cured. It was this episode that Andrew said particularly disturbed him because compulsive disorder is a medical condition. To treat that with punishment is no treatment at all. He theorizes that the title itself was probably a play on the existing show, Horse Whisperer, even though the training techniques in that show are based on what Andrew calls an understanding of equine behavior. Whereas Caesar, on the other hand, does anything but whisper. Instead, Caesar is the dog screamer. Andrew summarizes his statement by claiming this show would be a major embarrassment if aired and it would be a blow to the efforts of the dog training community that tries to eliminate cruel techniques. National Geographic simply didn't care. They obviously aired it anyway, made quite a pretty penny from it and ignored the advice of experts. As angered as I am by Caesar Milan, I am just as infuriated with National Geographic for giving him a platform. In no small part because of Caesar's misinformation spreading, PBS released a 2010 documentary called Through a Dog's Eyes in which they discuss the myth of dominance. 
some trainers and behavioral experts even claimed that they were hired to undo the damage Milan's TV devotees have done to their dogs, proving that his tactics are damaging. The American College of Veterinary Behavioralists called his techniques dangerous. The International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants worried that children may attempt these techniques and be injured. And an ASPCA spokesman called them outdated. The list goes on and on. While I try to be understanding of mistakes because no one is perfect after all, National Geographic was very keenly aware that their show was not condoned by experts and aired it for profit anyway. Of course, that's not to say that these damaging techniques are all that Caesar Milan does. The Dog Whisperer is ultimately reality TV. National Geographic may and likely do cut any boring parts of training that have to do with time and patience because it doesn't really make for good TV. But do you know what apparently does make for good TV? That's right, Caesar Milan pinning an aggressive dog down to the ground and watching this dog uncomfortably just squirm and be very uncomfortable with the situation. Still, that doesn't really make what they're promoting to the public any better. And it doesn't make the techniques demonstrated more acceptable just because it was for views or for money and it was just entertainment. These were still real dogs. Just to briefly present another side of the story here, Le Grice, an editor of Milan's magazine said, quote, A lot of the dogs Caesar works with are animals that have been allowed to get so far out of control that they face being relinquished to a shelter or worse, euthanized. If you establish yourself as pack leader in order to turn around a dangerous dog rather than see him put down, that seems a decent bargain from the dog's point of view. He adds, I cannot in my wildest dreams imagine Caesar ever being cruel to an animal. So is it all right to potentially make a dog feel helpless if it means saving their life? Caesar Milan has done some good and I won't deny that. He advocates against puppy mills, tells owners that they are responsible for their dogs, says chaining dogs is awful and insists dogs need structure in their lives. Even articles that criticize him don't necessarily call him an awful person and quote Caesar as saying, my way is not the only way. Sure, it could be that Caesar Milan just uses outdated dangerous techniques in an attempt to stop a misbehaving dog from continuing behavior that gets them put down. In that case, I'd argue that doesn't help these dogs in the long run and someone else should be giving them professional lasting care. All in all though, Caesar Milan has been criticized for years about this and yet he still stands by his dominance techniques to this day, judging by the fact that they're still promoted on his website. Now, as you might expect, these techniques have gotten him into quite a bit of trouble in the past. Now, before we go on to talk about some of the more serious and troubling issues, as well as his dog psychology center, this is where I wanna take a quick moment to thank today's sponsor for allowing me and the team to be able to even create an episode like this. You know when a friend gives you the perfect piece of clothing because they thought it was just so you that it's perfect? Well, why can't we all have a closet full of that? A closet that just screams you. With Stitch Fix Freestyle, it's just a shop that is built for you. And if you're following my Twitter, you probably know that I think it was maybe last week or a week and a half ago, I was going absolutely crazy because Stitch Fix updated their sweaters and they had a bunch of new sweaters available and I just absolutely lost my shit and my poor bank account just felt the pain. And Stitch Fix is easy because You can shop like two ways with Stitch Fix, right? Which is what I learned, which is terrible for my bank account. And I probably shouldn't tell you because it's gonna hurt y'all too. 
but you can do their subscription boxes, which is what I like doing. And normally I tell them just give me sweaters anyway. And you can customize it. You pay 20 bucks for the styling fee and that's it. Or you can also go through their app when you have your account set up or whatever. And you can look through individual pieces that they've customized that they think you'll like based on like the style quizzes you take. And when I saw sweaters, I lost it. So that's how this occurred, this whole situation where I bought a ton of sweaters. The point is fall is here. If you're not into sweaters or you're only into it seasonally, now is the time. Get started today by filling out your style quiz at stitchfix.com slash casket. That's stitchfix.com slash caskets to try Stitch Fix Freestyle. stitchfix.com slash casket. Now, carrying a balance on a high interest credit card every month can make things really, really stressful. It feels like you're pushing a rock up a mountain and that thing is just sliding back down and it is snowballing every month. It never looks like you're gonna be able to pay that baby off. But thankfully, Upstart is here and it is the fast, easy way to pay off your old debt with a personal loan and you can do it all online. Rather than looking at credit scores alone, Upstart offers other factors. They take a look at your income, current employment, and credit history to find a smarter loan rate for you. So if you have a bunch of credit cards or a bunch of debts and you just wanna consolidate them into one easy payment, Upstart can definitely help with that. So if you wanna find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payment today, make sure you go to upstart.com slash casket. That's upstart.com slash casket. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Upstart.com slash casket. One of the earliest issues that arose was when a producer on Dog Whisperer claimed his dog, Gator, had been left bleeding, covered in bruises, and gasping for breath after being choked with a collar and overworked at Milan's Dog Psychology Center. Yeah, remember that center Caesar founded ages ago, even before he became the dog whisperer? Well, given that it had his name on it, it makes sense people would trust it. Tragically, Floaty Suarez said the medical bills for Gator were more than $25,000, and that's how severe his dog's condition was. The lawsuit claims that Suarez's five-year-old dog had a choke collar placed on him for the first time before seriously being overworked at the treadmill. The lawsuit claims breach of contract, fraud, animal cruelty, intentional infliction of emotional distress, among other damages. Though this case was eventually settled, what I found particularly interesting was there was apparently a claim from the Today Show at that time that this was the second lawsuit filed against Milan in only a week's time. After doing a bit of digging, I was able to find another lawsuit against Caesar Milan from 2006 when he was sued for $5 million for copyright infringement. Makeda Smith of Jasmine Public Relations and her partner, Foster Corder of Daughters to Feed Films filed the suit. According to Smith, she met Milan in 1999 after being introduced to him through her personal assistant, Love Barnett at the time. The article reads, a well-respected industry veteran, she took Milan under her wing, imaging and branding him as the dog whisperer up until 2004. Within a month of introduction to Milan, she recruited business associate Foster Corder, who conceived, produced, and directed the original pilot for the show they named The Dog Whisperer. Apparently, these defendants attempted to produce their own Dog Whisperer show, but Milan abandoned them and went on to negotiate with National Geographic without them. I wasn't able to find a resolve to this lawsuit, but my best guess is that it was either dropped or settled out of court. 
Therefore, I have absolutely no way of saying how true these claims are, but if there is any truth to them, then I agree it's disgusting that Caesar would drop the very people that gave him such a successful career in the first place. As for Gator and the Dog Psychology Center, the DPC continued operating, even gaining a second location in 2014. On their About Us page, they mention how Caesar Milan is truly the pack leader you've imagined. And they share a 45 minute video all about Caesar Milan's brilliant journey. Although I understand Caesar is the face of this company, the fact that there is so little information about the actual training is just a bit frustrating. Not to mention on their question contact form at the bottom of the page, they even make a point to add that no training questions will be answered through the form submission. So how is someone supposed to figure out how their dog will be treated? Looking at almost any other random dog training website with classes will give me more information than this one. One in New York says they use positive motivational training and they explain the goals and classes available for each dog. Another location about an hour, hour and a half south of Denver in Colorado Springs is called House of Dog and they write, We use positive reinforcement-based dog training methods and the least intrusive methods nurturing the bond with your companion animal. We don't use aversive stimulation, fear, positive punishment, negative reinforcement-based methods. We find them unethical, inefficient, ineffective when working with your companion animal. These methods come with behavior risks like all, fallout, flooding, shutting down, and deteriorate the human-animal bond. We are also very passionate about pet overpopulation and the plight of homeless dogs. Having extensive experience working with rescue animals, we know that the right training and behavioral change programs help these animals find and keep their forever homes. We also strive to keep current companion animals in their current homes. They also have a mission statement, blurbs about their classes and other information so readily available. So how come Caesar's Dog Psychology Center tells me virtually nothing about them and instead just goes on and on and on about Caesar? As a dog owner, I'd want to know where I'm bringing my beloved pet, especially after what happened in 2006. Now, I could be reading too deep into things, but this just struck me as a bit odd, but this isn't the end of the issues with DPC. About a decade later, new allegations around Caesar Milan's center formed, though of a different nature. In 2015, a lawsuit was filed that claimed a DPC dog, Gus, had attacked a woman named Allison Bitney. The attack occurred in September, 2014, and was so intense that it left her without feeling or function in her left hand. Her injuries included disfiguring open wounds and deep muscle and tendon lacerations, in part because Gus is no small dog, but an incredibly strong and vicious pit bull. This isn't to say that all pit bulls are vicious and far from it. Pit bulls get an incredibly bad reputation simply because as the ASPCA explains, dogs can be selectively bred or trained to develop aggressive traits. Pit bulls are unfortunately one of those breeds that have been bred for their fighting ability, but if they're raised right, they can be incredibly loving, sweet, and gentle dogs. Please do not come away from this episode thinking that pit bulls are awful. Gus was simply failed by his humans. He had a poor upbringing or potential illnesses that were just not attended to. Now, while you might be thinking, hey, maybe this attack was provoked, the trouble is that Gus has a violent history. This allegedly started as early as February, 2013, when Gus attacked a trainer named Amber Rickles after a woman surrendered Gus with a warning that he was nervous, growling, and doesn't like children. Staff at the previous facility called him glassy-eyed and said they were too scared to handle him, according to my source. 
During a 20-minute attack, Bitney says, the dog bit Rickles on the right arm and then latched onto her left breast when she tried to put it in a kennel. With the pit bull still attached to her left breast, Miss Rickles backed into a laundry room where the dog released his grip, enabling Miss Rickles to close the door, the complaint states. The pit bull then broke through the door and attacked Miss Rickles a third time, latching onto her left arm and breaking it in two places. Three men eventually pulled Gus off Rickles. Over the course of a week, Rickles underwent reconstructive surgery. She had a plate and pin inserted into her left arm and needed more than 50 stitches for her wounds, the complaint states. Bitney says Rickle was left with disfiguring scars and permanent physical limitations. Unfortunately, later that month, a judge ordered the state to put down Gus. A rescuer appealed the order and after that, Caesar Milan's Dog Psychology Center agreed to take the pit bull and rehabilitate it. In April, 2014, just a few months before Allison was attacked, Gus bit another dog, an Alaskan Malamute on the neck. Since the owner in charge of Gus's care, John Vazoler, fell behind on payments to keep him at the Dog Psychology Center, the center released him in September when Allison was attacked. The director and head trainer at the DPC even acknowledged that Gus needed at least another year and a half of training and that he may never be able to live in a regular home because of his tendencies. The thing is, I understand this isn't as straightforward as DPC failing to train a difficult dog. It's something that takes time, patience, and practice. And part of this is absolutely on John for allowing a guest around Gus when he's known to have these types of outbursts. That's why justifiably, John was named as a defendant in this case. However, what is clear is that Caesar Milan claims he can fix any dog quickly. His methods supposedly always work and his center released Gus long before he was ready. Whether or not Caesar had any personal contact with Gus and the DPC says he didn't, it's disgusting that they would let a dog with this history back to his owner. After all, they agreed to not release Gus until he was fully deemed a safe member of society. So first they stepped in, said they would help, then take full responsibility and said Gus wouldn't be released until he was safe. But once the money stopped rolling in, they stopped caring. At least that's the impression I'm getting anyway. The thing is dogs get put down for this kind of viciousness, 40% of whom are pit bulls. There are rescue centers out there dedicated to helping pit bulls, even ones with their own reality TV shows like Villa Lobos on Animal Planet. So if Caesar Milan or his dog psychology center didn't have the resources or aid to truly help Gus like they promised, then I'm sure that someone else could have and would have. It's just really upsetting to hear that the DPC and by extension, their owner Caesar cared so little about Gus's life and the safety of those around him that they released him early. From what I've gathered, Milan was eventually dismissed as a defendant and this seems too that it may have been settled out of court. Aside from these issues with the DPC, the first massive case I've seen brought against Caesar himself was a suit downright accusing him of animal abuse after an episode of Caesar 911. One clip from the episode showed a small dog with a history of biting a pig so badly it died being unleashed in a pig pen. Unsurprisingly, the dog bit one of these pigs and National Geographic decided to air footage of the bite showing the pig's bleeding ear. Viewers were rightfully outraged, signing a petition to end the show. National Geographic claimed that the pig had been nipped and was tended to immediately and healed quickly and that it showed no signs of distress. And I definitely don't believe that last part, considering that you can hear the pig squealing during the attack. But even if this was a minor attack, 
The fact that an animal was hurt at all was upsetting for many. Eventually, Caesar Milan was cleared and vindicated after an animal cruelty investigation. Milan reacted swiftly and effectively. The injuries to the pig looked worse than they truly were and veterinary care was immediately given according to the reports. Of course, this isn't the absolute worst of it. While all this is important context to understand who Caesar Milan is and how he operates, what caught my attention was recent news that broke in September, 2021, revealing that Caesar may have covered up the death of Queen Latifah's dog. And before I dig into this, I want to note that this lawsuit only broke a week before I began working on this script. As lawsuits take a lot of time, I may have an update in a year or two. Maybe this is something that will be quietly settled out of court. Maybe it will be debunked. It's all too soon to say. But as of right now, I found the case really interesting and wanted to break down the allegations. Strangely enough, the case isn't actually filed by Queen Latifah at all, but by Lydia Matus, who claimed that Milan's dog Junior bit her four years ago while it was unleashed and roaming the halls of an LA office building where her mom worked. Because of her severe injuries, she's left with physical and emotional pain. And though she's been a star gymnast scouted by universities, she could no longer compete. Within these allegations, Maida says that this same dog also killed one of Queen Latifah's dogs and Milan and his team covered it up. Even though this case has undoubtedly been filed, some sources I see being quoted are TMZ and other tabloids, so I'm not exactly sure how much to trust the news that we're getting about this. The New York Daily News also reported on the topic and wrote, One of the incidents cited in the complaint involved one of two dogs Latifah had brought to Milan's Dog Psychology Center, a dog training facility popular among celebrities in Santa Clarita, California. Junior apparently mauled one of those dogs to death, but Milan directed his staff to tell the singer and actress that the animal had been struck by a car, according to the lawsuit. Milan's lawyers said the famous dog trainer was not aware of the incident and is not responsible for Junior's attack on Matus because she knew of the danger and assumed the risk of being bitten, according to a formal response to the accusations. The document also accuses the plaintiff of negligence and fraud. The woman said the dog repeatedly bit her legs in 2017, leaving her with serious injuries, physical and emotional pain, as well as embarrassment, loss of self-esteem, disgrace, humiliation, and loss of enjoyment of life, according to the lawsuit. It seems as if Matus may have been aware of Latifah's dog's passing after her attack because the office her mother worked in was one of Caesar's. Other sources have claimed that she only knew Junior was dangerous at the time of her attack because of the Queen Latifah event. If the attack happened in 2017 though, that would mean Queen Latifah's dog passed away before then, which isn't the case. After a painfully long scroll through Instagram, I was able to learn that Queen Latifah's three and a half month old dog, Kiwi, did pass away in February, 2018. She did not specify in the post how he died, but people have been commenting on that post saying that this is the dog Junior attacked. We also know for a fact that she was leaving her dogs in Caesar's care because she also made a Twitter post the month prior claiming that her dogs were going to be training with him. Caesar's dog Junior was 15 years old when he passed away in the summer of 2021. And although Junior may not be around anymore, Caesar should still be held accountable for his actions if this is true. I also was able to find evidence that Lydia was a gymnast all the way up until 2017 because her scores are available online. And sure enough, even though her scores go back as far as 2008 to 2009 season, when she was only six or seven years old, the scores abruptly end after the 2016-2017 season. 
So I think you can safely imply that she was no longer competing after the 2016-2017 season. So again, though I can't 100% claim that this entire story is true, there are pieces that fit. Queen Latifah's new puppies were training with Caesar. One of them passed away, seemingly quite suddenly and unexpectedly, due to causes she didn't reveal about a month after they started training. Lydia was a gymnast up until 2017 when she stopped competing out of the blue. It's definitely suspicious, but that's all I can say about this case for right now, because so much is still alleged. All in all, I definitely want to keep my eye on this lawsuit and a possible conclusion, and I'd love to hear what you think as well. Given Caesar's history, do you think this is possible or could this just be some kind of misunderstanding? But with that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe with notifications on to make sure that you never miss another corporate casket. Again, thank you for spending just a couple minutes of your time with me here today, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.